Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. This is episode number 138 of Linux in the Hamshack, the very first episode of 2015. Woo! Woohoo! Welcome to 2015. Yes, and, and Dave got there before the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, He's in the future. We're going to do a kind of a special episode of Linux in the Hamshack. We're not going to follow our usual format. We're going to have just the interview with. David Rowe, who is Victor Kilo 5, uh, what is it, Delta Romeo Golf, or no, Delta Golf Romeo, Delta Golf Romeo. That's right, yep. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call this Studio 3D, and the 3D is the three dogs who are <clears throat> kind of making a nightmare for everybody right now. Come on, get down. <laughs> <laughs> no, all right. Anyway, so back in July of 2012, we talked with David Rowe once before, and that was about the Codec 2 project, which uh, has come a long way, I'm guessing, in uh, two and a half years. Wow, that so, long ago, was it? Yeah, it was. I was going to say, I don't remember that interview, but that was before my time. <laughs> <laughs> so I figured we would uh, kind of revisit Codec 2, and particularly as it relates to FreeDV, because it's a topic that has come up recently on our program, because I have just started playing with FreeDV. Oh, good. Yeah. So um, we want to find out everything that's happened in the last two and a half years with Codec Two, and uh, what's what's going on in the in the world of uh, digital HF, and and so on and so forth. But maybe you can uh, talk a little bit about yourself first. Not that you haven't been doing that for the last ten minutes for those people who probably weren't here and won't hear that part of it. But you are from Adelaide in South Australia. Yeah, I live in suburban Adelaide, which is a city of about uh, one million people, sort of in the, the middle of Australia, on the bottom. In uh, the middle, on the bottom. <laughs> yeah, southern edge, I guess, in the, it's on the south coast in the middle. Yeah. Right, and uh, yeah. for, for and, us, uh, it's uh, <clears throat> it's uh, 8.30 in the evening, and for you, it's about 1 in the afternoon, so that's... Uh, that's right, a hot summer's day. Yeah. All right. You have one of those half-hour time zones. I didn't realize that. Yeah, until. yeah, it's a bit odd. It's because of the daylight savings and things like that across the country. The, the states can't agree, so they put a half hour in there. <laughs> All right. They do, the, they do the same thing here in Newfoundland. <laughs> it's half an hour off, so <laughs> we have one province like that too. Yeah, well, Canada's just weird anyway. Oh. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Dave, what do you do like as a job job when you're not – fumbling about with ham radio and such yeah well, actually um this is pretty much what i do these days um i have sort of had a career in um, satellite communications and um, work at university doing um, r&d into speech compression but these days i'm kind of i guess semi-retired and uh, when i am working it's on um, open source um, digital voice stuff uh, in particular the free dv type technology for the last couple of years Oh, that's nice. Um, I do have a I do have a web store that sells a few products that I've developed uh, through previous projects and things. But no, mainly these days it's uh, full time on this sort of technology. Well, that's good. It sounds like you're doing what you love, which is a, a sure sign of success. Yeah, well, I really enjoy it. I see a need for it, and I have a chance to use these skills uh, that I've developed to help people out. So, it's, you know, I get a lot out of it. All right. So. I saw that on your um, website where you say you're trying to make the world a better place, and I thought that was uh, quite admirable. 
Yeah, yeah, just a little bit better. That's enough. <laughs> just a <laughs> and, little um, bit. Not, we don't want too much. Yeah, and there is kind of a selfie edge to that. Like I, I just didn't find I was getting enough out of just working for money and um, uh, doing the corporate thing and all the things that I'm meant to be doing. Oops, Probably sorry, king just, tonight. <laughs> that's another guy kind of caught me. I'll just reject that for now. Um, that was um, a guy called Rick Barnich, a US ham, who's helping me build the um, uh, SM1000. What a great lead-in. <laughs> <laughs> Rick is a uh, recently retired electronic engineer, uh, active ham in the States, and uh, he approached me about a year ago and wanted to work with me on the SM1000, which is a basically an embedded version of FreeDV. So no PCs or laptops required. It's just a little box that uh, sits on your desk or um, can even hold it in your hand, use it like a, like a handheld microphone. But inside it is a powerful microcontroller, and that runs the whole free DV stack. So you've got your speech codec, uh, the modem, and uh, a bit of control software to tie it all together. So this thing um, plugs into your, your radio, either a HF or even a VHF radio, into the mic and speaker jacks, and um, turns it into a digital voice radio. And uh, we're in the, in the late stages of developing that. I've just got the last, uh, the first beta units just before Christmas. So uh, Rick and I are tidying up the uh, the last few details before we do our first production run in about a month or so. It's pretty small and, uh, too. I see it's only eighty by a hundred millimeters. Is that correct? Like, yeah, that's tiny. yeah, that's right. It is quite tiny. It's it's smaller than an iPhone um, in um, sort of length, length and uh, length and width. It's probably yeah, that's, just big that's, enough to uh, put, like, the audio jacks in it. The rest of it's probably microscopic. Yeah, well, one of the big problems that uh, Rick struggled with was getting enough room for all the jacks because we've got things like a, got an RJ45 that can plug it straight into a lot of, say, the Yaesu, the Yaesu gear. Um, we've also got 3.5-millimeter jacks for those who want to, you know, sort of patch it into their radio in, in a different way. And, uh, yeah, so getting board perimeter just to get all the jacks was the major problem. Uh, it's good that it's that small because most hams shacks, as you know, are already cluttered. So there's no room for a big piece of gear. You want little things. Yeah. It's funny. <laughs> it's smaller than a HT or something like yeah. that. And really affordable too. I see your price point is under two hundred dollars US, which is that's you know, right. Amazing. Yeah, we're hoping to sell them for for two hundred. And the the idea behind this is to. Um, about a year ago, I looked around at what we'd done for DV. Both myself and a bunch of other guys have been helping out with it. And we decided one thing we need to do was make it really easy for people to use. Um, at the moment, you need um, a laptop, you know, a couple of sound cards. There's quite a bit of fiddling to set it up. Um, it's okay once you've got it going, um, but um, this will make it a little bit more plug and play. And, uh, and it, it removes you from the um, PC, so you can use the thing mobile if you want to, even plug it into a, you know, a little... Uh, HT or something like that, and get digital voice um, over one of them. One nice thing was VHF mode to support that later this year. When I was setting it up originally, one of the nice ways to avoid the sort of double sound card issue is to use a USB audio device like a headset. Yes, yes, that's an excellent way. Yep, use a USB headset as one of your uh, audio devices. Yeah, definitely remove some of the complexity in the configuration and actually. It, it got me on the air very quickly. As, as I was saying on a previous episode, it took me 30 minutes to get on the air with FreeDB, and that included a round trip to Walmart to buy the headset. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> great. Well done. Yeah. So, all right. So, before we jump yeah, into we'll, FreeDV. We'll you to maintain the PC version of FreeDV. This is just pretty much the same code running in a neat little embedded platform. All right. Well, that's cool. Now, let's. Uh, I wanted to jump back a little bit and talk about Codec 2, which is sort of underpins sure. uh, FreeDV. So if you could yes. uh, maybe go through the genesis of the Codec 2 project and uh, where you're at now. 
Sure. Um, the Codec 2 started as my PhD, uh, well, the output of my PhD, which I did in the 1990s, and, um, and that was in low bitrate speech coding. And that sat on the university shelf for 10 years till um, Bruce Perens and John Mark Vellin contacted me about five years ago and said, hey, you know, you know the open source world needs a low bitrate codec. What could you do? And uh, I eventually got motivated and got working on it, um, dusted off the, the code, some of it stretching back um, into the, the 80s. Um, and uh, turned the thing into a, a usable, functional uh, speech codec, uh, which was great for me. Everyone likes to, when you do a doctorate, it's really nice to better use that stuff for something in the real world. Yeah. Um, and it's been useful for a lot of people, um, mainly uh, in the, the the key niche for it seems to be HF digital voice. And, of course, hands are a big user of that. Um, there's also a lot of other people who are interested in HF digital voice, like you know, humanitarian applications, uh, military um, so, and there was nothing in the sub um, five thousand kilobits per second that was open source. So this fills that niche, and uh, it's been progressing gradually downwards from there. From um, we've got modes down to well, the latest experimental one is four hundred and fifty bits per second, um, and the one that people use for uh, most of the free TV work is thirteen hundred bits per second. Four hundred and fifty bits per second, and that mm, pr- produces mm. intelligible audio. Yeah, there's some samples up on my website uh, from a post a few months back. Um, what I was playing with there is um, how bad can I make it sound but still make it intelligible? Um, because I, I finally realised that's what single sideband is like in limiting conditions. You know, when you go, you're using phonetics and talking very slowly and repeating yourself. Um, so what I'm, the sec- one of the second goals for, that I'm working on at the moment is to make free TV work uh, better than single sideband. So I started by taking a look at SSB and uh, where it wins, where it loses, and why it does work so well on HF channels. And, uh, and one of the things I worked out was it's actually really bad in bad channels, but it gets the message through. So I sort of thought, well, okay, rather than treating digital voice as something that's got to be perfect uh, all the time or not there, can we make the digital voice quality drop but still get that message through on a really bad channel? And that's where the uh, I went crazy for about two hours on the keyboard and came up with the 450 bits per second mode uh, as a first pass but uh, we'll hopefully improve a lower bitrate version through the year improve the quality a bit and make it even more robust so in a signal on hf for codec 2 and its normal configuration about how much Mm -hmm. uh, spectrum will that use you know for the 1300 okay so we take the 1300 bits per second codec add a little bit of fec and then i and put it through the modem and i think it's around 1200 hertz of analog bandwidth or rf bandwidth um, so about half a single sideband channel at the moment uh, for the current uh, uh, FreeDV mode that you can access with the uh, the uh, x86 uh, FreeDV software. Okay, that's that's pretty exciting because I like I said I've used FreeDV a little bit and I've actually had a conversation on FreeDV and um, it, it really sounds almost like single sideband when you're having that conversation except there is uh, no noise to speak of because. Mm. Um, because it, no it's channel noise, yeah. Yeah, which is really nice. So yeah. there was one question that came up in the previous episode. It was asked by a listener, and I produced my own off my you know off the top of my head answer to the question. But I'm really interested in hearing the real answer to the question. And the question was, why is FreeDV in the voice part of the band? And I had you know I, what I thought was a reasonable explanation as to why it's there. So let's hear it from you. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> so your, your explanation is probably better than mine. That question usually <laughs> sets off about three days of arguments on the mailing list, and I sort of stand back and go back to my coding. <laughs> <laughs> 
Do you have a preference as to why it is, or do you have a, an inkling or why you think it's there? The, the, the argument seems to be that it's fundamentally it's voice. At the end of the day, it's phone, um, so it sits in the phone segment. Do you think it could be uh, used equally well in the data portion? I mean, do you think it would pass muster with various you know regulation entities as that it's data if it were in that part of the um, band? The issue seems to be the bandwidth. It still uses a bit wider than something, you know, like PSK31. Um, so, say the code or data section of the bands is pretty narrow, and that would uh, chew up quite a lot of it. I don't actually have a position, I should point out. They're just the arguments that I, uh, I see when, uh, when all hell uh, breaks loose on the mailing list when this question is asked. <laughs> Well, so your your answer was actually different than mine. You seem to think it's because it's in a wider part of the band where voice generally is, and that's why it's been accepted there. I know I noticed that uh, uh, I can't remember what the site is, but it's sort of like a DX cluster, but for FreeDV, like a FreeDV cluster. Yes, yeah, the QSO finder. Yes, right, and um, the calling frequencies uh, are all in, of course, uh, the voice portion of the band. So yeah. <coughs> Yeah, there's, some, there's some other sort of mixed um, systems in that area too, like uh, the uh, SSTV um, tends to be around that frequency as well. And it's an interesting, um, yeah, at the moment there's some coexistence between the two modes and um, the design of FreeDV, it, it's been encouraged that we make it narrowband because it tends to put a punchier signal that um, stops people intentionally or unintentionally interfering with, it, with SSB. And it is fairly robust to SSB interference. So the uh, so Codec Two predates FreeDV. Was was Codec Two like? Did FreeDV come about because of Codec Two? Is like, wow, this is how we can use this, or yeah, was it? Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, I, I saw this need. I was, I was told about this need by um, Bruce Perens uh, and a few other people for um, people like Mel Witten for an open source codec. It was really missing from the digital voice architecture. One of the key things that was missing. Um, but then I finished it and I said, okay, who's going to turn it into, put it on the air into a real thing? Who's got a modem? And uh, no one had a modem. And uh, one of my previous lives, I was uh, involved in building modems for satellite communications. So I know how to build them. So I thought, okay, well, I'll build a modem. And that, that was about the time I met you, I think, in the middle of 2012. Uh, uh, then the next step was we needed an application to tie the modem and the codec together, put a GUI on it, you know, draw waterfall diagrams. And uh, once again, I, I asked around who would do that, and a guy by the name of Dave Witten stepped up and started working on it. And um, he came up with a, quite a nice design um, for things like sound drivers and uh, the GUI toolkits. We, we insisted that it be cross-platform and open source. Um, a previous incarnation, um, FDMDV1, wasn't. And when there were issues uh, with the, the code and the people working on it, it suddenly just evaporated from the ham scene, which was very unfortunate. So we made this one um, personality independent by making it open source um, from the very start. And uh, Dave and I worked on that towards the end of 2012 and released FreeDV about two years ago now in its initial incarnation. Um, and then I think I did a bit of work about six months after that to make it a bit more robust. And then from then on, it's been little tweaks. Um, but the, the big thing we need to do now is uh, improve the quality on um, poor SSB channels. Also looking at um, developing a VHF mode. Um, been doing some work on um, modems for VHF recently. And uh, also get the SM1000 running everything. Speaking of VHF, we actually had a question about VHF and using FreeDV on VHF. Do you see yes. a, a use case for that? or 
Yeah, well, what's happened is I, I sort of we initially focused on HF because that's where the, the hole was in the digital voice architecture. There's several competing um, DV systems in, in VHF, and it seemed fairly well established. But a lot of people aren't too happy with that. They don't like the idea of spending big money on a new rig that only runs one company's digital voice system, and they're closed. Essentially, the, the codec's closed. There's limits to the experimentation you can do. And what I found was people are actually running free DV over FM, would you believe? Um, so it's this... The modem waveform is this uh, multi-tone um, phase shift keyed waveform, and they're actually then putting that over FM, and it works okay. Um, so people are playing with it, and I thought, well, let's look into what we can do if we can do this properly. And um, over the last few months, uh, I've been developing some simulations of modems in the VHF channel and just seeing what can be done. And I believe with the right sort of modem and codec too that we can get a significant quality improvement over... Um, existing FM and DV modes, like as much as, or power and quality, as much as 10 dB improvement. So uh, what we're doing at the moment with 5 watts, we'll be able to do with 500 milliwatts uh, on VHF with this system. Um, that sounds too good to be true, so I'm in the process of developing some uh, more software so we can test it over the air, and a couple of other hams are working with me on that. So is this all using the SM1000 for, for doing that? Uh, I start off using um, a signal processing language called Octave, uh, which is a sort of uh, just a, a programming language that's really good for doing things like modems and codecs. And it just all runs in simulation form on my PC. And then out, out of that comes wave files, and these wave files will be the modem tones, and I just play them through an existing radio over the air. So uh, either an SSB or FM radio, record it, and then put it back through the simulations again. That's how everything starts. Once I'm happy with the simulations, they, they're all running sort of offline. Uh, I then code it up in C, and then it's ready to be integrated into uh, the PC version of FreeDV or into the SM1000. They just cross-compile between them. Interesting uh, way of doing things. I'm not sure we even talked about how you did the actual development of uh, mm. the codec and stuff the original in the original conversation. Yes, yes. Yep, start, start off with some sort of simulation form and then, uh, then into C for real-time work. I know in our first discussion we kind of got really down into the nitty gritty of how the how you actually get the the compression that you get in the waveform and all of that, and I don't know that we need to <clears throat> get into the science of it again. You said that was it David Whitten or Whitman who did the the GUI? Dave, David Whitten, yeah, he was the co-author of uh, the PC version of FreeDV during the period of 2012 2013. And were, did you have a hand in that as well, or um, as far as... Yeah, both Dave, Dave started it, and then I chipped in and helped him with the integration and some of the signal processing side. And uh, currently, though, um, Dave's no longer working on the, the project, and I'm really busy doing other things. So if any of your listeners can do a little bit of C coding and are interested in helping out, we'd uh, really appreciate some help on the C coding side um, for things like free DV. You don't have to have a PhD in signal processing. A lot of it's just regular C code, um, and it's uh, you know great stuff and for a good cause. You know we're really pushing uh, the art of HF digital voice forward. Yeah, I wish I knew C better, but I haven't done any C since the late '80s. So <laughs> I think I'm, <laughs> well, I'm, some of this code was written then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid I'd be about that rusty though if I tried to get into it. But it's, it is interesting. <laughs> one one thing I was curious about the in the in the application for the PC uh, in the waterfall when you're not receiving a free DV signal, the waveform looks one way, and then when you actually are receiving a signal, it basically completely changes and it shows you the the free DV waveform, or or you know something that looks like a signal in the waterfall. 
which seems to be a little different than the way other applications work. Usually, like like if you're looking at a PSK in a waterfall, you 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 see the spectrum, and then each signal shows as a line, basically in the right. spectrum. Whereas in FreeDV, you basically get nothing until you get something. Is is that just the way it is? Because it, it was a little weird for me because I was wondering why I right. wasn't, you know, seeing anything, and there isn't any way to sort of like scan the band. You know what I'm saying for for a free TV signal? It's you're either oh, kind of yeah. there. Yeah, well, the free TV signal takes up pretty well at least half of your SSB bandwidth, whereas you can see you know ten or twenty PSK31 signals in the same bandwidth. If you had an SDR with a wide bandwidth, like um, the Flex guys, for example, then they could see several parallel free TV signals at the same time. So that's kind of a function of the current bandwidth of ham radio uh, receivers or HF radios in general, I guess. They're usually set to that 3 kilohertz bandwidth and usually there's only enough room for one or two free TV signals. Uh, the other reason is I didn't really know what waterfalls were meant to look like, so I was kind of winging it when I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, just, it was just a little odd because it's not something I had seen before in practice. And mm. it's just kind of like, you know, before, you know, if, if you have a wide enough view into the spectrum you can see like you said multiple multiple like psk signals inside there and i understand that uh, one free tv signal is about half of what you can actually see in your waterfall but it's just like you, you know you can't just like go up and down through the band looking for something that looks like free tv or at least uh, it didn't look that way to me it's just you kind of went to the calling frequency no. and if somebody was somebody was calling then all of a sudden it was there and you heard a voice yeah. That's right. Yeah, there's not too much other activity uh, up and down the band, and no real way to tune, no real way to tune that easily at the moment, at least. Uh, no, probably possible to um, interface the tuning on the FreeDV program to the radio, though, to scan up and down. If someone would like to have a go at that. <laughs> well, something to consider for the future, I guess. Now, you, uh, yes. the FreeDV program interfaces with uh, the Linux Hamlib, I assume, for uh, rig control yes. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's got several rig interfaces. Hamlib, um, sort of a direct serial connection. If you want to just uh, tie your PTT to, uh, uh, you know, a DTS or DTR line. Uh, and one other method, which I forget at the moment, but there's three different ways of uh, doing um, PTT control. The SM1000 is quite neat. You just press the uh, push-to-talk button on the side of the SM1000 and the rig keys it connects direct, directly to the PTT line. Like, would he, would the other thing have been, like, RigCat or something like that, maybe? I can't recall now. Oh, Vox. Vox, I Vox. Think. okay, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Okay, so, yeah, the SM1000 sounds like a great little interface. I might have to take a look at that. Of course, I've already got a setup that's working, but for doing something uh, considerably more compact, it sounds like a wonderful little device. Do you have any yeah. um, thoughts on when that will actually go into production? I know you're kind of sort of halfway between here and there right now. Yeah, yeah, no, we're um, hoping to, uh, basically we're about to push the button, just doing the final rev on the PCB and the uh, the box, uh, the Rick design, so within a month or two, they'll be on sale. Well, I think we're running into Chinese New Year at the moment, <laughs> so we've got to, if we don't get in the next three or four days, we have to wait three or four weeks, but it, anyway, it's close. Will you be selling those off of your site, or will they be available sort of widely, or, or what? Yeah, good question. Um what I'd like to do, I guess, is some sort of way to distribute them in the U.S. Also, um, they'll be uh, for sale through our, US, our Chinese manufacturer's website. I think he's got a, a worldwide shipping thing that's quite reasonable. And I'll have some stock here in Australia as well. But uh, happy to try and look into distribution uh, of that sort of thing. All right. That sounds good. 
who does the manufacturing? Are you allowed to say, or is it like a yeah, a, sure, a yeah? No, it's a friend of mine, um, Edwin Chen at Dragino, Dragino dot com uh, in Shenzhen, China. Been working with Edwin for five or six years, and previously on some uh, voice over IP products, um, some other open hardware products that I developed. Um, the SM one thousand is open hardware, by the way. All the uh, CAD information is uh, in SVN and circuit diagrams, so we encourage people to get in there and fool around with it and uh, change and modify it if they want to. So you're going to sell it as a kit or just a unit? No, fully assembled, ready to go. Uh, what I found is that despite things being open hardware, people want a product, not a project. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> yep. it'll be fully assembled, ready to go, and uh, uh, and uh, you, you basically need a little bit of time to plug it into your rig and configure and set a few levels with uh, a little trimmer, uh, trim pots, and uh, away you go. Oh, that sounds really good. And, of course, uh, it, the whole thing is self-contained, so it's uh, sort of platform agnostic as far as... Uh... Yes. Yes, and we've got things like there's a little patch panel on it there to uh, adjust the pinout of things for your particular radio. Um, also very low power, so great for soda work. Um, I think 200 milliwatts or something, so um, you, know, you could run it on a couple of uh, a tiny little battery pack all day, certainly longer than your radio battery pack will last. Oh, very cool. And it's fu- fu- fully programmable. You can reflash it from any PC. So, uh, and open source, all the software's open. So, uh, if people come up with a, you know, improved user interface or a, they want to change the modem or the forward error correction, go for it, you know? And people can experiment with it to the heart's content. So, let's talk a little bit about operation in FreeDV. Um, how, much, how much of that do you do? And uh, how, where, where have you. Uh like who's around on FreeDB? I, I noticed that uh, on the tracker or the DX cluster or whatever you want to call it, uptake doesn't seem to be real big right now. Yeah, it sort of comes and goes. Uh, but I think what we're waiting for is uh, when we start to get the performance up around um, you know the single sideband level. Currently, when it works, it works really well, noise-free communications, but um, suffers a bit from HF fading and things like that. Having said that, there is a pretty active community, uh, in particular over there on the East Coast uh, in the US. And there's guys, one guy showed me his logbook the other day. He's had 500 contacts on FreeDV, uh, all states plus into Europe. A um, bit of um, communication uh, between Europe and the US. Uh, I don't use it too much myself. Uh, I tend to code away and do simulations and things. There's a community of um, a couple of dozen guys local to me who work on it and help me with testing and things as well. Uh, when I need to do some local communications. But, yeah, it's fair to say it hasn't had a huge uptake yet. But uh, we'll keep working away, and we're getting a lot of good feedback. We have a really good team in place there, um, a lot of guys helping us with testing and uh, things like that. Lately what I did was, as I mentioned, I developed some new waveforms and through the simulation, and I, I just publish them on the Internet, and then I get people to transmit them for me around the world and um, uh, send me results. So I, I work with other people like that. But uh, not too much on the air myself, unfortunately. Well, that's okay. You're too busy making it better for the rest of us, which is a, a noble endeavor. <laughs> Thank you. So I have a question from our chat room. Uh, Ted Williams, W-A-0-E-I-R, who is also a ham radio coder. He's written uh, TWPSK, TWCW, and Great. other applications. He wants to know, or he's uh, speculating about the waterfall issue that I mentioned, and he asked, could you add something equivalent to a PL to the free DV signal to ID in the waterfall? It's actually pretty easy to spot. Once you've seen one, you'll know what they look like. You have the, the two uh, central uh, PSK pilots at a high level, plus uh, the tones either side. So spotting it is pretty easy. You know, I think it might just be the, you know, the lack of activity and bandwidth um, of your receiver, that, uh, so you don't see similar to PSK-31. 
Yeah, I, my my situation was pretty deaf where I was. I didn't have a lot of uh, <clears throat> luck on uh, any any mode really, uh, including free TV. <laughs> But when the when the stuff came in, it, I mean, it was there. I mean, it's kind of kind of like an FM signal on VHF. It's like when it's there, it's there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a lot like that. Mm. It was it was definitely a cha- a change for me to hear something that sounded so crystal clear and noise free on an HF. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people think they're using FM or something like that. It's uh, quite remarkable. Yeah. It's, if you haven't, you know, if if you uh, haven't used it before and you're tuning around on your hf rig and all of a sudden you hear a free dv signal just uh, all of a sudden crystal clear voice coming through it's uh, a little strange for sure yeah and it's really easy if people just want to listen in you just need a pc with a, a sound card and uh, you can run the free dv program and receive only so it's quite easy to listen around yep and if you use that locator you can find out exactly where to tune to you know what frequency to hit where most people will be likely to be active and uh there's usually someone there just calling cq or chatting or whatever and i i noticed that even if when i couldn't talk to anyone that uh i could certainly hear the conversation so it was very nice that way yeah we've even picked up a bit of that activity here mm. all right well uh while i think of something else pete you got anything else you want to talk about bushfires some more or? <laughs> no no we've not done that. no I, I was um actually roaming around your website a little bit before the show and uh i was just i'm fascinated with your blog first of all the blog post i mean there's so many people following you on the blog i don't know how long uh it's been that you've been uh doing the blog but i was uh quite taken with the fact that you uh there's a line i saw somewhere that you like to talk about what went wrong and and how to fix yeah. it how you like to teach your readers something new in every yeah. blog post and that there's a lot of activity in there and there's a lot of really interesting information so um i'm, I'm assuming this just came about uh with your philosophy of you wanting to share um, what you've learned and what you're developing and probably also, I don't know, could you tell us a little bit about that? Probably also a little bit of a log uh, of, your, of your life's work at the same time, I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I think the blog started in 2006 when I sort of quit the last day job that I had. And um, I like writing and um, I'm okay at it. And uh, I sort of decided to settle on this uh, narrative style. So I write about my projects as they happen and, you know, warts and all. Um, I real life we make mistakes we screw up we go back and fix them and uh, uh, go down a few blind alleys and I like to talk about that sort of thing rather than just the you know it was all perfect to start with and I got it going really easily because <laughs> uh, it, it just doesn't work that way um, and often if I get stuck on something I figure well maybe someone else might get stuck on that so uh, I'll write about it and fortunately I, I like writing and I've got a fair bit of time to do that sort of thing so it sort of evolved that way. And, yeah, it um, gets more and more popular. I think it's something like 150,000 unique IPs a month now. Oh, wow. What's that? 5,000 a day. And um, the top ten list sort of shows me what people are interested in. Sometimes annoying because some of the stuff I don't like, they, they do. <laughs> Keep, keeps, keeps coming up pop that is the most popular, which I didn't think was anything very special. And uh, some of the ones I like aren't there, or the ones I, I like the best. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it seems to help people. And getting them, um, I get a reference to a fair bit from Wikipedia too because I've explained things in a way that is easy for people to follow. Yeah, right. 
Yeah. No, I, there and was one particular one that I came across uh, that where you're talking about. <laughs> I, I love Krispy Kreme donuts. There's one just around the corner. Yeah. <laughs> talking about your yeah. your son being excited that they're opening a Krispy Kreme factory. Yeah, we got our first Krispy Kreme in the recently. Yeah. And and then you go on to discuss how how you know the the, the equivalent or or you, you use the donut to explain energy, which I thought was yeah. just you know, <laughs> phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, the, the energy and um, production of the Krispy Kreme, I think it was equivalent to three, three wind turbines or something like that. <laughs> Enough fat to add one kilogram to every person in the city each year. Yeah, and it probably <laughs> will because they're, they're quite yummy. <laughs> yeah, I know, that was a phenomenon. The city went crazy. Uh, yeah, there's another also, one that, along that veins of the fuel consumption of a pedestrian crossing, you know, how many gallons of fuel you use when you press stop to cross the road and uh, okay. things like that. Mm. No, I, I, I bookmarked it and I'm planning on going back and, and <laughs> checking it out regularly. So I, I also noticed you're a user of uh, an electric car that you yeah. you use the commercial car and you converted it yourself. Is that is that correct? Yeah, you made yeah, your I took own it. electric car basically? That's right, yeah. There's quite a few people doing this around the world. You, you take an old um, petrol car that's at the end of its life and uh, replace the motor with an electric motor and some batteries. And it, it's recently sort of got a lot more viable with the release of um, lithium batteries about four or five years ago. So, yeah, since then I've sold my um, internal combustion engine car and all I've got is the electric car now. And uh, that that's fine for a commuter around town. So, yeah, I've been driving that. That was on the road about five years ago now. So... Uh, all electric for five years, and uh, uh, really enjoying it. I don't miss that. I just occasionally I borrow a petrol car if I've got to go a long way, or uh, hire one, or catch a train, or something like that. Is is it easy in Adelaide to uh, find a place to plug in? I know Montreal's getting to be a little bit more user friendly for electric cars. Oh, to see a lot more of them, and you know the local, you know the bigger malls will have spots where you can plug in and yeah. stuff like that. So there's I don't a few know. places, but um, to be honest, I just don't think it's necessary. Adelaide's. Um, you know, city of one million people. It's kind of hard to drive more than um, forty minutes in any direction. So I just plug it in at night when I get home. Just you know, a bit like charging my smartphone. In fact, it lasts a bit longer than my smartphone normally. No, that's but um, yeah, so this whole thing about charge points, it just hasn't been a practical problem for me um, okay. living in a city where I do. And I think as the EVs evolve, this range anxiety thing's going to go away. You know, the, we'll have two or three hundred kilometer EVs for. 15,000 bucks, you know, in five years' time, and it'll all go away. And when you do run short, you know, if you're at your friend's place, you just plug in. Um, right. So yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's – uh, <laughs> I think there'd be – there would have been a lot more um, development in that market if it wasn't for the petrol companies, you know, crushing the initiative, as it were. So I, I think that's what's limiting uh, a lot of, of the, the production right now. Yeah, well, once you've had an electric car, it's kind of hard to go back. Um, some things you take for granted in a petrol car. Like I sit there at the lights and wonder why all these engines are idling around me. You know, why would you do that? Uh, right. So you look They're at so complex. quiet. Yeah. I, I, every I mean, once in a while, I almost get hit by one. I mean, I live in the city, so I'm, <laughs> sometimes I just cross the road and I'm just used to listening for cars. You can't yeah. do that anymore. <laughs> no, They're quiet. No, I'm the same on my bike. Yeah, uh, use my ears, <laughs> my eyes to see if there's a car coming. Yeah, that's what I do now. I've gotten into the habit of doing that now, but it's uh, it's pretty amazing how quiet they are, which is which is great. I mean, I mean, if if at all, if we if we 
you know, if one day we eliminate petrol cars and just think of, of the people living by freeways, they'll just they'll just be loving it, be loving life. Yeah, well, at low speed, they're pretty quiet, but the road noise tends to dominate, you know, above maybe, you know, 30 miles an hour. They sound like a regular car. But in a car park or something, yeah, that can be pretty deadly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how long have you been licensed I'm, I'm heading back into the ham radio realm now you've been licensed for quite a while I'm Nin- assuming 1981 I got my novice license when I was at high okay. school yeah. started off with converted whatever the top level was in Australia See, they've changed all the licenses around here I forget what I am now but I think I'm at the whatever the top level is Okay. I'm allowed to put anything on the air I want that's the important thing yeah yeah there you go so you when you're converted- experimenting with new modes of voice that's kind of important yeah, <laughs> you you'd converted a CB into a to, to you just I guess you know up into the the lower handbands. Yeah, yeah. Guy, there was a guy who used to do that back then. And this was in the early eighties, and uh, for I don't know thirty bucks, he'd cut a few tracks on the phase lock loop and retune the the PA, and you'd you'd have an SSB rig on ten meters, and that was right. the height of one of the solar cycles. So I'd come home from high school and work you know thirty JAs um, after school, and uh, nice. then I so. Graduated to a regular HF rig. How did you discover ham radio? How did you uh, how, oh, how did you get into the whole geeky electronics kind geek, of world? I was a geeky kid before it was fashionable, and uh, in the seventies. Oh, so you got beat up a lot, just like me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, according to my mother, I was crawling towards the powerpoints when I was a baby, and uh, she was <laughs> what, what was wrong with me. Uh, <laughs> and it uh, developed from there. And ham radio was what you got into in the seventies um, right. and early eighties because they weren't PCs. This was just when um, you know the early Z eighty Z eighty model Apple Model ones were coming out before PCs uh, of any description. And uh, so that's what you got into. But I got into computers when they came out too. You know, I was doing assembler Z eighty assembler and when I was fourteen or fifteen or something as well. And initial. Playing with uh, sampling signals through the cassette port and uh, decoding weather signals and stuff like that, early modems and things. Yeah, so that was a kind of cool time to be a kid, just when computers were coming in, uh, yeah, as well as yeah. ham radio around. Yeah, oh, very cool. Russ, you seem to wanted to uh, break in there. Oh no, no, no! I was uh, enjoying the conversation about the electric cars. I was wondering if it was a Holden. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a Daihatsu. Right. Yeah, there's a picture of it on the website. <laughs> I was actually shocked when I saw it. I was expecting this nice new space age thing, you know. It's like, wow. It's, <laughs> no, it's a 1991 car. I'm quite proud because of the embodied energy. Yeah, that's there. awesome. It's recycling it to the max for sure. I just got it back too because my daughter just left home and got her own place. And she sort of took over when she was living with me. And I didn't get to see my car for about two years. But now I've got it back because she loved it. You know, it's basically no maintenance, no petrol costs it's just a few cents a day to run it right yeah no, that's amazing yeah. all right well i think i i think i ran out of my questions uh dealing with kodak 2 and and free dv and where it is now but if, if there's something else we you know forgot to mention or if you want to mention some of the developers or anything else you want to talk about the the either of those projects uh you could stick it in here there is one thing i'm working on at the moment that um, given the, the theme of your show is linux and ham stuff um we're off to uh uh, linuxconf.au in about a week, uh, which is one of the three big Linux conferences in the world. It's uh, in Auckland, New Zealand this year. And we've got a mini conference uh, on basically building a little SDR uh, receiver. So uh, most of these guys are Linux guys, um, but um, we're hoping to get them interested in things radio. So we've developed a, a little software. Yeah. 
Uh oh. I think um, it's coming back. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Uh, Linux and SDR in general, and it can be built in a few hours. So I've designed it specifically to be built in a few hours. We we lost you there for a few seconds, like for maybe ten seconds, Dave. Uh, I don't oh, know if okay. you were still talking. Yes, yeah, so I was just talking about this uh, open radio kit that we're working on, uh, openradio.net.au, and uh, it's basically a, a little kit club project SDR that can be built in a few hours and uh, can run on Linux, right. and uh, specifically, you know, joining those two worlds of Linux and uh, and radio together. Are you going to be actually building one at LinuxConf or? We're building 30. Uh, we've got a, a whole day wow. work. <laughs> Two places left for the workshop. Um, and they've been kitted up so where you can buy extras. And so if, you know, clubs um, who are interested in either, you know, Linux guys interested in radio, radio guys interested in, in Linux, or I think it'll even run Windows SDR software. It's fairly generic. Um, then you can buy these things and do it as a club project. They're about $60 each in the kits. Well, that sounds good. And if there are a couple of spots left, I know we have several Kiwi and uh, Aussie listeners. So uh, if uh, they hear this and they're interested in that, which sounds great, I would love to go down there. But the uh, airfare to Australia and New Zealand from here is uh, yeah. a bit pricey. Yeah, so we're quite excited about that uh, and a lot of fun. We put a lot of work into making it easy to assemble. It, it's got, you know, you, you have to wind a coil, but just one. You know, you have to uh, solder a few surface mount components, but we've made them big. You know the biggest parts we could, just to give people a real a real taste of the whole assembly thing. Well, that sounds great. Uh, LinuxConf AU is uh, something I hope to get to one of these days. Are you going to be at Hamvention this year, or haven't made any plans this year? Um, still a bit early in the year, so uh, I did go a few years ago. had a, had a great time there, and we usually have some sort of free DV uh, presence. Um, you mentioned the price of the tickets between here. That's sort of my issue too, and the and the reverse. Um, it's probably a good five grand by the time I've you know got the tickets and accommodation and things like that for me. And uh, as I do this as a volunteer, you know that's a fair bit of money on top of everything else. And the time factor, uh, you know, when you take into account, you know, a week to prepare, a week to recover when you come back because of the time zone shifts. <laughs> you're talking, uh, you know, probably a good month out of my year, but I could be coding and doing other things. So uh, I have to think carefully about the, the international travel. Yeah, that's a huge investment all the way around. But at least we we usually hear from Bruce every time we go to Hamvention. Yes. He t- talks you yes. guys up. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Mel Whitten's often, uh, he does a great uh, job uh, evangelizing digital voice as well he's all, at all the conferences. I think we've got a stand at Pacificon. Is it Pacificon coming up in about a month or so? So uh, we'll be demonstrating ESM 1000 there. Do you guys have uh, anything at scale? Don't know. Hmm. I might have to see if any of the guys I know who go to scale can uh, bring it out there because it might be something that would be uh, well suited to that conference. I'll have to talk to the U.S. marketing department and see what's going on with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, becoming a multinational, are we? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I tend to put my head down. A lot of other guys go to the booths and stuff like that. All right. Well, do you want to talk up any of the developers or anything before we uh, kind of wrap this up or – uh, no, I think I've mentioned all the ones that have had a key impact uh, recently in the talk already. In particular, Rick Barnett is doing a fine job with me on the SM1000. All right, sounds good. I'm looking forward to the release of the SM1000. I'll probably be on the bandwagon for buying one of those. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun developing, I must admit. Great to uh, get the soldering iron out again and do some embedded stuff. Yep, all right, cool. Um, I don't think we had any more questions come out of the chat room. So, Pete, anything else before we uh, get to the recipe corner here? Nope. I'm. Uh, I, I've gone through my list. I'm good. Uh, you had a list. I did. Look, it's right here. I see. Oh, excellent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Dave, for coming on the show again. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks, Dave. Uh, excellent. Fascinating. And uh, I'm going to be following your blog and maybe making some uh, comments. Go for it. Yeah, very welcome. <laughs> okay, thanks, thanks, guys. See you later. All right, thank you. That's uh, Victor Kilo 5, Delta Romeo. Uh, yeah, let's get that right. Delta Golf Romeo. <laughs> Adelaide, South Australia. So thanks, Dave. That That's uh, great. I hope we get to talk to you again soon. If we don't see you at Hamvention, well, I'm sure we'll be in touch. So. And I think he may be gone already. Right, no, he hung up. Oh, he hung up. All right. Well, that's too bad. Uh, probably had things to do, stuff to code, C programs to make, SM1000s hey, you know. <laughs> to build, you know, multinational corporations to take yeah. over. and uh, Electric cars to build. That's right. Electric cars to manufacture. All right. Well, with that, we're not going to do anything else except for talk about Cheryl's uh, recipe for this month or week or fortnight. Yeah, fortnight. That's what it is. We do this. Fortnight. Yeah. Something like that. We're going to talk about your wieners. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you've already seen the ether pad. (laughs) Yeah, actually, I I went... Was it last week? Yeah, it was last week we were supposed to do the podcast. I went in and... uh, Got all, yeah, I like logged in at like four o'clock in the afternoon. There's nothing, and I was like, "Oh, cripes!" Okay, and then it dawned on me, you know, because we were moving out of our house in Arkansas, that Russ didn't have any of his sound equipment there because it had already moved to the house in Missouri. I was like, "Oh, huh, okay." <laughs> so I already had everything in there. So, but anyway, um, I had actually posted this. Because of people, you know, having like Christmas parties and New Year's Eve parties and stuff. But since we've already zipped past all of that, um, the recipe that I am sharing this week is for brown sugar smokies. And we serve these a lot at our uh, game nights that we have here at the house. Game and it, nights? Yeah. Game uh, nights, Like yeah. poker and uh, board games. Gay nights. No, 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 no game, game nights. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they can be gay in the, in the old sense, you know. <laughs> I've seen some pictures. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> Carry on. Sorry. All, all of our friends call this meat candy. And what it is is it's cocktail. <laughs> yeah. No, and it literally is. I'll it's, leave that one alone. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, it's little smoky cocktail weenies. And you wrap bacon around them and roll them in brown sugar and oh. broil them. Yeah. Yes, they are very, very good. And then you can make a dipping sauce that's got mayonnaise and barbecue and brown sugar. So if you need a cavity by the time you're done, this is the thing to eat. We're having poker on Saturday night for my birthday. And half a dozen people went, are we doing the typical food? Because for Russ's birthday, we always have lobster rolls. And for my birthday, we either usually have Chinese food that we have to drive 40 miles each way to go get. Or we have appetizers. And, you know, so as soon as they found out that, you know, yes, this is my birthday, they're like, are we going to have any meat candy? Three different people asked me that. I was like, yeah. So they're making you make it for your birthday? Yes. I also have, (laughs) since I took a Wilton cake decorating class, I also have to make my own birthday cake. Well, you're probably better (laughs) off that way. You'll know it's good, you know. True. (laughs) Yeah, Russ is still eating. Um, I had a friend that had a Christmas party and had me make cupcakes for her. And Russ, there's some extra cupcakes, and we're still eating those cupcakes because they've been kept in the refrigerator, and they're still really good. So Russ and I had one for lunch today. So well, one thing I can say about the little smokies and the meat candy is you can de- you can describe the entire recipe in like 12 seconds. So we should probably just go ahead and do that. All you do is you take we what we do is we go to Sam's Club, we buy a three pound package 
of Little Smokies, and you get two pounds of bacon. Three pounds of Little Smokies equals two pounds of bacon. You slice the bacon in thirds, uh, raw, and then what you do is you wrap each Smokey in, in a third of a slice of bacon, stick the toothpick through it, and then you take a whole handful of them as you make them and run them through a bowl full of brown sugar. And then you put them on a pan and you bake them for, I forget how long you bake them. It's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. You bake them for 10 minutes until they like look awesome and taste good and smell good. And then you put them in a bowl and eat. And everybody loves these things. We don't, we don't have a single person who comes out here. We don't, luckily we don't have any kosher friends or anything like that because that would be bad. <laughs> we can uh, get kosher wieners, just ones that aren't made from pigs. Well, I'm not sure. Well, yeah, I guess we could do turkey bacon and turkey wieners and all of that, but that would be cheating and stupid. So, <laughs> <laughs> kosher. It would be kosher, yes. <laughs> it would also be lame. So, but. so now you're saying our Jewish friends are lame. Okay, great. Well, do we have Jewish friends? I don't know that we do. We do have Jewish friends. We do? They live in Washington, D.C. Oh, yeah. Well, they're not coming here to eat smokies. Yeah, no, so. no, no. They don't come here to eat smokies. All right. So. All right. so, anyway, that's that. So thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it's really weird to be talking to you and actually be able to see you. Yeah, like right across <laughs> the table. I get to look at you and a dog. Yeah, <laughs> Who are mostly quiet this time. So anyway, yeah, that... barking, but nothing, nothing too bad. Yeah, we heard him a little bit ago, but it's all good that's now. That's okay. Yeah, I kicked yeah. him out of the room when they ran down the hallways. So anyway, that that's it. We talked with David Rowe and we talked about uh, candied wieners. So, I mean... <laughs> That's that's a show right there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, start making some of these recipes to eat as we're talking. You should. Yeah. Well, maybe not as we're talking. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can have you can fix these for next time and snack on them while we're doing the show. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what you want. Usually, <laughs> I'm eating chips or chocolate bar, and Russ is like, "What are you eating again?" Yeah, well, tonight we were. You know, I, time severely got away from me because I'm used to being here alone and doing the same thing, eating my bowl of cereal or whatever while we're doing the podcast. And at like six o'clock, I looked at the clock and went, oh, crap, Russ is here now. I've got to get dinner fixed. So, yeah, dinner came off the stove at a quarter till eight. So we sucked down dinner super quick and ran back to the computers. Yeah, I think we'll have this all worked out in 14 days' time when we do it all again. And there shouldn't be any more pauses in between shows. Um, it was just a madhouse over the last three weeks or so, moving out of the other house and trying to find all the equipment and get everything set up again. But hopefully we're all done with that and we're back to normal so I don't have any outro music, so I'm going to have to do all of that in post. So I guess um, we're just going to say the show's over. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and uh, and I'll do the rest of it afterwards. And uh, a good one it was. First it of was. 2015. Yep. First Start of off with a bang. Yep. And uh, good to hear from you again, Pete. It's been a while. Yeah. My computer blew up. And I couldn't find another one. By the time I did, my connection was shoddy, and then I couldn't get Skype to log in, and I mucked around with it for I don't know how long until I realized, oh, I'm an idiot. I just need to update. <laughs> <laughs> and I uh, did that, and, uh, you know, it was working, which would have, you know, if I'd have just thought of it in the first place. Because I, I found a laptop that had a really old version of Skype on it, and I guess um, – I'm not sure what the problem was, but it just wasn't connecting. I, I'm guessing the configurations for the ports were wrong, 
but I mean, I haven't, you know, I haven't researched it. It's working now, so that's all I uh, care about. All right. So, uh, yeah, that was my uh, my biggest problem. I lost the PC. The death of the PC. Sad. We oh, have well. that happen occasionally around here. Too. It was just a hard drive, actually. So I could replace the hard drive, but it's not really. I might. I don't know. I'm not sure what I'm going to do with it. It's still sitting in the corner. I I don't throw away any any computers usually. Everything should be back to some sort of normalcy or whatever the new normal is by next time. So. <laughs> the new normal. Yeah, the new normal. All right. So with that, I guess we're done. And uh, for those of you who are listening after the fact, you will be hearing intro now, or you'll be hearing outro rather at this point. And uh, the rest of us will have long since gone to bed. <laughs> so, That's right. All right. So thanks everybody who's in the chat room and who's listening live. We appreciate it. And we'll catch you all in uh, two weeks time to do it all over again. See you then.